weather is the international best-selling author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, or the co-founder of Match.com, or the host of the MSNBC show, Your Business, they all have one thing in common. They are some of the many guests that want you to reach the finish line. Your host is Callan Diggs. Welcome. Hello, listeners. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you know about my new Goodreads book giveaway. I recently published a book called Reaching the Finish Line, How to Thrive in the Generation Y Era, and I'm giving away 100 free copies, and I want you to be among the first to have it. If you want to check it out, go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash podcast, and on the episode page 117 is where you can find a link. Or you can simply go to Google and type in gurries.com reaching the finish line giveaway. Currently, you have a 100% chance of getting a free copy if you enter now. So enter now and allow this book to help you reach the finish line. And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Paul Crouppen. Paul is a former scientist, once upon a time attorney, turned publicist and inventor. He's the author and publisher of more than 23 books, including Email to the Max and Trash Proof News Releases. He retired after 28 years of diverse professional government and industry experience and a variety of technology and project managed disciplines. He has been employed with the state of Oregon, U.S. Department of Interior, U.S. Department of Agriculture, U.S. Department of Energy. Uh, he was an emergency medical tech as well as a county civil defense director in Ohio. The New York City native has a bachelor's degree from the University of Colorado in Boulder, a master's degree in Oregon State University, as well as a doctorate from William Met University. Paul, welcome. Nice to be here. Paul, let's go back in time. You know, you know, where where did it start? You know, typically when, you know, people they get involved in various professions and uh, careers, sometimes it is sometimes the reason behind it is because maybe because their parents have done it. You know, maybe like in your case, maybe maybe your parents were in, in government roles, you know. Um where did it start? No, I in fact, um I had no clue. And in fact, life's an adventure. Uh, adventures take you to different places. Um, I grew up in New York City. Um, I was raised on Long Island. My grandmother had a, a house on the beach, little tiny ramshackle shack with an uh, outhouse in the backyard. And uh, I had surfboards underneath the front porch and I went to high school. Uh, and then when I went to college, I really didn't have any clue what I wanted to do. I literally dropped out after one semester at Syracuse University, mm. uh, worked as an ice cream man, hopped on a 10-speed bicycle, went cross-country through Canada in wow. 1970, ended up, ended up hitchhiking around the country and ended up in Boulder, Colorado. It took me six years to get a bachelor's degree in biology. And then I, uh, I happened to meet a professor in my very, very last year of the six years getting the bachelor's degree, and uh, he taught me all about how to find water underneath the ground. It was a course in groundwater hydrology and water turned me on. So I ended up going getting a master's degree in hydrology and water quality. Uh, and then I went to work for the federal government 
what's really funny though is is that um i always had an entrepreneurial spirit and i i wrote even when i was with the uh uh, the federal government agencies I wrote, uh, my first book was all about streams of the, the Oregon coast range. And I went to Idaho as a hydrologist and as an EMT and uh, working on search and rescue. And I ended up writing article after article on anything that I, I got involved in. And I uh, I did all sorts of really crazy things. We're doing mining water quality and ice jam floods and earthquakes, landslides. And wow. I kept on I kept on writing. Yeah. And then when I when I finally got my master's degree, well, let me, uh, let me stop you right there. It, it's so interesting, <laughs> you know. So if if someone you know you know you know I just kind of you know read your biography, looking at your background, a person may ask, "Man, Paul, what haven't you done? Seems like you've done almost everything." <laughs> you um, know, and um, and it was interesting. You said it took you six years, you know, to get your bachelor's degree, and, and while that was in the nineteen nineteen eighties, maybe I presume. Uh, uh, 70 through 76, actually. Okay. In, in the 1970s, uh, looking, looking now, you know, in, uh, the 21st century, that is not uncommon whatsoever. You know, there is a, there is a, uh, increasing amount of people taking longer than four years to get a bachelor's oh. degree because typically they enter into, uh, college, not really sure what they want to do. And, and then they, they change their major, which prolongs it. And, uh, and, and, and fortunately, and nowadays, it seems like the bachelor's degree is a new high school diploma. And it's like almost required for uh, millennials, uh, now Gen Zers, to be able to uh, have that degree to even be considered for uh, a profession. Because most professions, that is the standard uh, requirement. Uh, you know, I, my, my own view is, is that education comes in so many different forms these days. Not everybody is, should go to college. Mm-hmm. A lot of other types of careers are out there. And not only that, with the technology and the changes in the world that we're seeing, um, the education that colleges offer oftentimes is not really necessary or useful mm-hmm. when you hit the street mm-hmm. and when you get out of college, mm-hmm. when you actually start walking in the door to people and saying, hey, uh, how can I work here and what can I do? Mm-hmm. Um Yes, skills are necessary, but life skills, technical skills, self-learned skills are every bit as important. And in many cases, that's really what people hire you for anyway. It's not your resume. It's not your education. It's your desire mm-hmm. and your your ability to work. Right. Many levels of uh, government positions, and you've, you've definitely uh, worked in many government roles for 28 plus years. Uh, at the mid-level to higher levels, they do require a college degree, even if it's something probably as, uh, I won't say as simple, but even though it was, even if it's something that's not as complex, uh, that's it happens to still be a requirement in order to get any type of that's true. A government job. Government, and, government jobs are, do have specific requirements, and they do have educational you know, credential requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, but bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, doctorates, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes these are required for certain types of jobs in both government, yeah. uh, government contracting organizations and in industry. Um, it's not, to, you know, it's not the only way in. Yeah. And it's not the, o- the only way to go. It, 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 it seems to be a path that, you know, many people find attractive because, you know, uh, they, they find it to be 
in a way, a, a safer career compared to maybe you know. I mean, th- I mean, there's there's places you can work. You can work for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, you can work for an Inc. 5000 company, and working for those uh, corporations do provide you know security as an employee for someone who chooses not to become entrepreneurial. But uh, a, you know, a government job off, is often attractive to a lot of people because uh, the benefits tend to be better than the average job. So, uh, so for a person who does desire uh, a path of that type of security, then yeah, I mean, for, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, despite a person's competence, they still need to have that college degree uh, because you know certain, you know, I guess what they call the GS pay levels, you know, you know those type mm-hmm. of pay levels, uh, unfortunately, requ- uh, require it. It was definitely interesting too how you talked about. You uh you bike through you, you bike through can you took your bike through Canada and across the United States, and uh, that's definitely something I advise people who are graduating out of high school to do to actually take a gap year instead of wasting a year of college being confused and not knowing what you want to do, uh, taking a gap year and doing something like what you did, you know, bicycling across the U.S. Uh, into Canada, or maybe even just taking a year abroad, learning a different language. Those types of things uh, can give a person clarity to uh, mitigate any type of, uh, you know, mistakes that can, unfortunately in college, can cost them a, a few ten thousand, uh, thousands of dollars. I think everybody has to grow and experience life Mm -hmm. and then identify what they enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the basic thing that happens right now is that people take these jobs and they find out that the work that they get asked to do is very unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. Sure, you go to college, you get the bachelor's and the master's degree, and even if you get a government job, what happens is that after two or three years, you find out that, oh my gosh, I am not enjoying this as much as I did when I started. The, mm-hmm. the challenges aren't there. I'm doing the same thing day after day. There's no opportunity for growth and development. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, what you need to do is, is confront yourself and make a decision. Ask yourself, what do you want to do? What do you love to do? Mm-hmm. And you know, then you have to really start honing your job search skills and and this is where i think you know people really need to focus on these days is the ability to learn mm-hmm. there's more than school there's more than books and in fact the the miracle is in your hands it's on your cell phone and on your computer at in your desks because but you have to know how to search mm-hmm. and what you're searching for is first if you know what you love that's the first thing you need to grasp and the second thing is you need to identify the people mm-hmm. who offer and do what you love mm-hmm. now paul you were a former scientist so you say you got a bachelor's of biology at the university of colorado in boulder um you know was there a point in where you wasn't as passionate or interested in biology anymore and that's why you kind of shifted uh your, your course of direction onto something else well, what shifted the attention off of straight biology was working. Mm. What happened is, is that uh, I got hired to work with fishery biologists and geologists and hydrologists. And the actual nature of the work, I was working for the Forest Service and for the Bureau of Land Management. And the work was working on logging and mining. Mm-hmm. And then I got exposed to other people and what they were doing and then the demands 
the mine is being located in the middle of this pristine wilderness and it's the it was the water that turned out to be the pathway by which people and other environments were being affected and so i learned about water mm. i made it i made it was i had one summer's experience where i was working for a laboratory company and the experience redirected my whole interests off of straight biology and environmental plants and organisms onto the water. So mm. I studied hydrology. Mm. And along the way, I, I had different professors. I was exposed to more things. One of my, the people I camped on his door, he, he was, he was a, what's called geomorphologist. A geomorphologist is the person who studies the shapes and, and the landforms. I see. And he took, and he taught me how to read an aerial photo. Mm-hmm. And got with the aerial photo skills, I ended up basically being able to get up in a helicopter in an airplane and take my own pictures. Mm-hmm. And then I would deliver them to the government and to the companies who were trying to basically do things on the land. And I got to be the person who said, "Hey, can we do this without harming others?" And I said, "No, you have to move this." tailings embankment or this dam you have to move it off that landslide and away from that water and you got to put your road here and your your, and your facilities over here and not here and you get to be involved in people who are trying to do things and what happens along the way is is that you're exposed to people with who have real challenges real problems and you may or may not know exactly how to do it but you have the ability to ask questions and learn some more interesting do you want to reach the finish line? Of course you do. But one objection you may have is, I don't have the time. One thing I've always suggested is outsourcing. And thankfully, now you can do so in the budget. Fiverr is the world's largest marketplace for services starting at $5. The wide range of services include logo design, photography, copywriting, voiceovers, video editing, and much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and click on the link on the episode page. And let Fiverr be the resource to help you reach the finish line. You know, you, you know, 20 plus years, you working in various government roles. What led you to say, okay, it's time to put this chapter of my life aside and go into a different direction, you know, with your, with your, now your, your PR firm and now with your, your software app, you know, we don't, what, you know, what, what led you to kind of, you know, I guess, did you get tired of it? Um, usually I was confronted with a, a new problem mm. and I recognized I didn't know enough. Mm. And so, uh, when I was, a, had the biology degree and confronted, realized that I needed to learn about water, I got a master's degree in hydrology. Mm-hmm. I went to work for the federal government. Seven years later, I came to the department of energy at the Hanford site and I was basically working on the nuclear cleanup problem. Mm. I realized after basically setting up the cleanup program that oh my god the lawyers are have have all the key responsibility they're the ones who are out there on the cutting edge mm-hmm. i wanted to be there i wanted to be capable of doing that mm-hmm. i lit i literally turned to my employer and i said hey i'm i'm gonna leave the government i'm going to law school mm-hmm. and they they said hey well um before you do that we want to try and make you an offer and they did that 1988 to 91 I was offered basically, uh, you know, so financial help in exchange for a commitment to come back. So wow. I picked up, I picked up a sponsor who helped send me to law school, and then gave me a job to come back. 
<laughs> you were that good, you know. It's yeah, it sounds like I was good enough to get that type of support. And then if you look at then what happens every time I confronted a new problem and just think about the problems that came along. Um 1998, you know, uh, two guys in California created Google. Mm -hmm. There were search engines. I needed to learn. How do you use a search engine? Mm -hmm. And so I, I studied it. I ended up writing three books, The Magic Search Words. And then I realized that, oh, my God, uh, now people don't know how to use this. And not only that, Google, even back then, was still advertising up front. And then objective results rebo and the quest for knowledge, good knowledge was how do you find the good stuff? I created the original search word pro. Uh, it was designed to help people create better queries because it's magic in magic out. Mm-hmm. You get good results when you ask good questions. Right. You wrote multiple books, uh, you know, over 20 books, you know, well, uh, actually let me, let me give you the actual number. I have about, uh, 30 paper books, published mm-hmm. um one of them only one of them was published by another publisher oh, i created my own publishing company mm-hmm. um and then i i published over 30 you know paper copy paper books yeah um, so o- o- over over 30 books and it's a question now, that wait, many, many wait pe- a second <laughs> let me let me keep on going because that's not that's only the beginning of the story well i, well, I want i want i want to take turn it into a, a slightly different direction and uh-huh, i wanted to ask that you know, many people are wondering because there's a lot of people who listen. Uh, you know, they, they wrote they wrote at least one book, or they haven't written a book yet, and they haven't had success. And one thing that I have tell people is they have to keep going. And for a person that has written so many books, you know, how has that looked for you as an author? You know, you know, like you know, has has it started become enough to support you, or at least at least a uh, 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 at least half of your lifestyle? Because a lot of people want to make living want to make a living off their writing, but unfortunately, yeah. uh, they, they they're facing the reality that they can't do it with one book. So, what has it been I, for you being a person that has written uh, uh, several dozens of books? I I write for a living, and I, I retired from the federal government um, in two thousand three. I, I had a heart attack actually, oh, um, my. and 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 then I, I I started doing my started selling my own books. I was selling other people's books. I also started doing book publicity full time, mm-hmm. and so I got to work with hundreds and hundreds of authors. Mm-hmm. And r- I write for a living to this day. I have a basically it's a six figure um, income Very nice. off of off of writing. I, I write extensively about how to do this. I, I will send you a link to an article which describes all the different techniques that I, I, I teach. Uh, it's, the article is called Smart, Intelligent, and Broke, and What to Do About It. And it basically talks to how do you make a living writing. And, and, once, and once I get that from you, Paul, we'll also, for people who are listening, we'll also include that on the, on the episode page as well. Mm-hmm. But yes, please continue. Well, um, the bottom line with um, all writing is that you, you have to identify who you're writing for mm-hmm. and what do they want the most. Mm. And then if you're writing to sell, you've got to create a recipe mm-hmm. that tastes so good to them that they, they like what you've done and they are willing to hand you money to do it. And I, I, I have a, a couple of theories. One, the, the one theory I want to share with you is, is called the electronic vending machine theory. And it goes like this. 
you know what a, mecha- uh, a vending machine is? It's a mechanical device. It's parked in a well-trafficked location, mm-hmm. like Grand Central Station. You see a battery of them. And human beings are really well-trained. They know exactly what it is when they see it. And they know they can go up to it, drop in some money, make a selection, grab it, and away they go. Now, it, you know, it's basically cake, candy, cookie dough, and, and sugar in a variety of forms. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is human beings are a biological organism, and when they finally take a bite, their body experiences physical sensations of satisfaction and enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And in the human brain, this creates chemical memory. In other words, people remember where they got it. And it's a survival mechanism. It's infallible. If you provide a certain level of stimulation and satisfaction, people always remember how they got it. Mm-hmm. Now, on the internet, every website, every piece of information you see, it's just like the electronic vending machine. Only on the internet, there's only four types of candy. Mm-hmm. Pro- products, services, software, and information. Mm-hmm. Products need to be manufactured and delivered. Mm-hmm. Services need to be performed. Software is nice. It's just like Skype or Facebook or anything. It uploads and it downloads to your cell phone, and it just works and works and works and works every time you touch it. And information is nice because it can be delivered by phone, by email, by video, by ebook, by hard copy book, by white papers, by consultations, <laughs> in person, by, all sorts of ways. Right. But the bottom line is that if you're going to write to sell, if you're going to create to sell, the same thing has to happen. You have to produce that sensation of, of satisfaction. Yeah. You, have to, you have to turn people on so much that it tastes like candy to them. And often it takes more than one book to do that. Uh, you have to kind of it's, – it's some, sometimes it s- starts with you have to keep throwing darts at the wall and just find out what sticks. And um, I, have a, I, I have a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's called CACA, C-A-C-A. I, I guide authors through this on their first book, their 10th book, or their 100th book. Basically, the process is is you, you have to talk to the people you're writing to. You have to create something and ask them and then pay attention. Does this turn you on? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, you sit there and say, well, what do I need to do to fix it? Mm-hmm. And then you go create again and then you come back to them and ask again. So create and ask, create again and ask again. And you do this again and again and again until you show them your book, your writing, your article, your post, your music, whatever it is. And they sit there and say, oh, my God, this is so good. Can I have some more? Yeah, that's a good point. That that is when you know you're done. Mm -hmm. And And now you need to do the same thing. You need to do the same thing to all of your marketing communications. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have to do it to the product, so the product delivers candy, but now every time on the internet, whether it's with social media or whether it's with a, uh, a letter or an email or a Facebook post or a Twitter post, you have to put candy in front of people and it has to produce the same effect. Okay. And you don't, you don't see success until you test it and, get, and, and, it, and you see, literally see people grab it, hoard it, pull it in close, they hand you a credit card and they say, oh my God, I need 10 of these for everybody in my company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, here, and, and this is where on the internet right now, you have this amazing ability to publish every day. 
And you can literally look at the likes, the comments, and the shares, and more importantly, the number of buys to guide you so that you know, oh my God, I've just hit a level of content and quality that's producing an income. And now you then apply the technology as a force multiplier for all those messages that you're testing. And one thing that's very helpful is that by by you being uh, by you having your own PR firm as a publicist, uh, you have developed a multitude of contacts over time now. So it's like every time you write another book, it's like you go back. It's like you're going back to that same group, while at the same time you're still building uh, those core group of contacts. So that 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 definitely serves you well. Well, uh, as let a, me tell you the uh, truth. Author. Let me tell you the truth. Those homegrown lists of people that I've purchased books for me and everything, the only reason they're going to buy another book for me or buy any technologies is if, if the new product mm-hmm. appeals to them and still tastes like candy. It's not, you know, you really have to basically be used to talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. And the money you make is more by referral to strangers than it is off of anything else. And it's day by day. Mm-hmm. You have to basically, you know, learn how to please people who walk in the door who don't know you mm-hmm. and who haven't got any experience. You know, in this world, um, you know, people are searching for val- value and validation. Mm-hmm. The trust they get off of having bought, bought and gotten to know you a little bit in the past, it fades with time. And so, you know, I'm not I don't really try to push myself onto existing clients Basically, what happens is, is that I treat them so well that they become marketing agents for me and that when they encounter a situation that they need or a situation that somebody else needs, I'm the person that they that comes to mind as far as who can help them the most, because this is what other people do. And you have to literally just focus on creating content that's so good that people share you happily. Agreed. And, uh, and as far as content... Uh, it, it very it's very helpful to um, you know kind of have options of choosing uh, where you get where you get your information from and getting the best results fast and that's that's where kind of really leads up to your new kind of software app that you created called Presari and uh, I you know you know me going through the work day I, a few days ago I checked it out and I was you know I, I never seen anything like it. What inspired you to create this type of software app? Back in the 90s, I was working for the federal government, and I had to do a lot of research. I was a government researcher. Uh, I was litigating, you know, billion-dollar law dis- legal disputes, contract disputes, working, you know, to try and solve some of the biggest problems that the, the Department of Energy was facing. And I was a researcher. And the, the challenge was, how do you use Google to get the best information? So I created a series of rules, 23 rules, on how do you pick the best words. And from there, I I created, hired a programmer, and he and I built a platform that automated the rules. And that was the original search word pro in 2003. Ten years went by, and people were still using the old platform and saying, hey, are you ever going to update this? And uh, short story is that I had a patent on it, but the patent didn't protect me very well. Mm. And so I sat there and said, oh, God, I'm not going to do that again. I lost a lot of money trying to, to you know, to try. Um, but in 2014, middle of the night, brainstorm, I realized that, oh, my God, the patent office just came out with the new compendium. And for the first time in history, they're protecting website programming under the copyright laws. 
And so under, under the patent laws, a per, other people can make one change and it's a whole new device. Under the copyright laws, all the code, all the HTML, everything that people do when they click on your website, it's now protectable. And, and so with that, we went and we updated the search word pro technology and we turned it into a, a channel changer, like a TV remote control, only instead of flipping search, you know, TV channels, you're flipping search engines. So you can put in a word like, in your case, um, millennials, uh, career development, uh, financial difficulties, uh, freelancing or whatever they're interested in. And you can flip channels. You can look at Google and Bing, the two primary main search engines that are out there, commercial search engines, only you have to still stumble through the advertising and the search engine manipulation layers and the popularity contest before you get to objective results. Right. Only you also have social media, so you can now just flip channels to social media. Now you can see who's using those words today. Mm-hmm. And better still, you can contact them. But then you can switch to the news media and you can flip the channels to NPR, PBS, hundreds of, th- hundreds of magazines and TV radio stations and what you know, whatever types of. And then beyond that, there's there's over a thousand other expert organizational government search engines who have been you basically buying Google technology for the past 25 years, and they've placed all sorts of really high quality information into their own search tools, which Google never sees. And in order to mine the knowledge of humanity that's out there, you don't have to use Google anymore. You can go right to everybody's front door and say, what do you got for me today? And that's what Prezari does, is it lets you pick and select where you get your information from, and it gives you choices, and it's just one click away. And I definitely have to say, uh, the few minutes I've spent on it, you know, I was, I, again, I was quite amazed. I never seen anything like it before. And definitely, um, anyone who needs to do any type of research, whether you're researching information for a book, whether you're researching information for uh, a dissertation that you have to write, you know, any type of research, this, this type of software app. You know, I think you're onto something big, Paul. I really do. And uh, what we're going to do is, uh, if, if you refer to this episode page, Paul is going to create a uh, video tutorial that you can, uh, basically it's going to be based on uh, my situation, but you can basically kind of copy and mirror, mirror it for your own type of situation. And you can see how the Presari software app works. So I'm very excited. And uh, Paul, as we come to a close, uh, if people want to get in contact with you, if people want to learn more about your new thing, uh, Presari, uh, how can they do that? Well, it's just Presari.com. And, um, they can play with it on online. For it, the homepage is free. Um, they can just enter some words and start to play around. I think there's uh, common search engines. There's Google, Bing, Wikipedia, TED. There's social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and a few others. And then there's uh, uh, at least 20 or 30 different news media. Paul, thank you for being our guest. Hey, I, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs. If you haven't already, purchase the book Reaching the Finish Line at reachingthefinishline.com Now 
it's time for you to start reaching your finish line. So what are you waiting for? Start 